0: Life. Like We all kind of think about our life in different stages or uh, in different f- uh, phases. And not every stage or phase is the same, but think about this for me, uh, with me for a moment. Think about the places that you've lived. Hey, there was this time that we lived in Derby or this time frame that when we lived in California, or maybe it was even a certain house, like that moment when we, you know, lived over there on Baltimore Avenue. Like You think about life in certain stages. Maybe it's the idea of, remember the college years? Like what happened back then and the things that you learned and the things that you experienced. And so it's kind of just grouped together, but this idea of the college years. Maybe you think about that moment when, remember when we were newly married? Again, there's not an exact time frame for that kind of moment, that phase, but there is this idea of just when we were newly married and I remember that time in our life. Another phase would be, remember when when I was part of the team, Like whichever team that is, you know, and maybe it was just for one season or maybe it stretched out for like all of high school. I was part of the team, whether I was on the field or on the sideline, I I was part of the team. And that's just one of the phases of life that sometimes we can think about. Maybe it's things of, yeah, I remember the time that I wore braces. I remember all the things, the positives, negative. Okay, there were no positives. I don't know. But like you think about those kind of things and that was a phase of life. Or maybe it can even be more serious in the idea of, remember when there was this friend or family member that passed away? And not just the event itself, but for some, like the months leading up because you know what's about to happen. Or, again, the mourning that happens afterwards. And so there's this time in life that sometimes we just think about this phase that I was living Even if you're younger, you know, you can have an elementary age child go, remember when I was in kindergarten? Like, I remember that aspect. Or it could even be something like a family vacation. There was this phase in life that I remember. Those events and those stages, they can be really great. They can be really hard. And they can be somewhere in the middle. You know what, as far as stages go, our church has been through a pretty tough one over the last 18 months. We've been through a tough stage. And when I use the word church, I don't mean the building, but I mean the body of believers, the larger family and community that is worshiping here. But even though it's been tough, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that nothing good has happened. There have been so many good things that we have seen God do. But I want you to think about this with me for a few moments. Like no matter what the circumstances are, when you have two ministers that have been serving at your church for 14 years, In 18 years, and now they're not in that role, like that can be difficult. There's a grieving process that everyone goes through to some extent. And so many people in this room or online have been impacted immensely by Shonda and her ministry, her relationship with you, or simply by who she is. I think about a lot of others in this room or those of you who are watching You've been influenced by Rick and his willingness to help you when you were in a tough spot. His words from stage. His example of wanting people to know Jesus. And I say that, and hopefully if they've made a difference in your life, like you've made it a priority to reach out and contact them at some point. You know, even uh, if they're not in the same position on staff, will you continue to keep up friendships? Will you continue to encourage them? And if you haven't, might I encourage you to reach out to them, not flippantly, but in a real sense. And I don't say that in a way of guilt or shame, but I say that because sometimes we allow this, should I say something? Or what is it that I should say? I don't know what to say to cause us not to say anything. Man, that's not what God wants at all. In fact, I've lived those moments And instead, God wants us to have freedom, and he wants us to have healing. And so I think about even as these transitions have happened, like I would be lying to you if I said, yeah, it wasn't hard on the church. But even that wasn't the only difficult thing. Before those things occurred, there was this little thing that maybe you've heard of called COVID that happened. And I know it was tough on the entire world. So like, I'm not trying to just get any sort of sympathy for the church But I wanna point out some things that maybe you've never really thought about. When COVID came, it caused a separation that people had to deal with. Most of us didn't feel the effects immediately. In fact, we didn't know how long everything would last. But as people, we are created to be in community with one another. And when our only option to connect with other people outside of your house comes from a screen, that limits the amount of connectedness that we can have. Or when COVID came, it put every family, or even every individual within that family, trying to figure out, how do we properly respond to this? And in doing so, people were following the news. People were following science. We were looking to the Word of God for answers. We were acting on feelings. And there became this great divide that appeared. And I'm not just talking about the church, but as the country, as a whole, or even in the world— but the truth is, we saw it in the church as well. And I'm not just talking South Rock. Like, every church had to figure out, what are we going to do here? And decisions were made to the best of abilities, but absolutely no one loved every single decision that was made. And sometimes those responses to those decisions, they ended up, people, they ended up pulling people apart, away from one another. And that was hard. For our church specifically, I think about small groups and Bible studies that had to shut down, or women's and men's groups coming to a a halt. I thought about kids' ministry classes closing up, I thought about youth group being forced to stop. I thought about our worship services going online, or how serving opportunities we had to get very creative, or mostly outside, when we could serve. I thought about how important phone calls became, maybe than ever before. And even specifically, I began to think about our Rooted experience. Like, you've heard us advertise it, but it took a hit. Like, I've heard from some of my other ministry friends in other churches how God used Rooted as a tool to completely transform their church And after our first group went through Rooted at SRCC, there was a lot of momentum with that. There was a lot of life change that was going on. And so a second group started out and everything was going well until COVID stopped it right in the middle. Now, some groups, they were able to keep going, but kind of in a limited fashion. And others groups really did have to stop. And so when we were able to start it up a third time, like it went really well. But again, there weren't a whole lot of people being able to do it. And again, rightly so, trying to figure out, is this safe? Can we do this? And as we start this next round, like I've seen the signups. I know there's a lot of good, you know, quality people signing up and wanting to learn in their relationship. In fact, my wife and I, we've never gone through it, mostly due to schedules. And so we're signing up this time because I want to be able to experience that which I've heard about and I've seen. But if I'm being completely honest with you, there's a lot of ways that, we've lost momentum. And again, not uh, things within our control, but just we lost momentum. So I would even love to encourage you. Like maybe you saw the video last week about how Sean had talked about his, his uh, testimony. and You were even thinking, I don't even know what my story would be to tell someone. Like maybe that was scary to you. Or maybe you're in a place that you do not feel connected with God. Or maybe you feel connected with Him, but it's not very deep if you're being completely honest. Maybe you feel alone, even in a crowd this size. You kind of feel like, I've got my spot here, but I don't know anyone else around me. Like, hear me that I am honestly not trying to make any kind of sales pitch, but here's what I am doing. I'm simply trying to point you towards an opportunity that God may want to use to change your life, to strengthen your spiritual foundation, or connect you with some people that will help you through those moments of difficulty that are upcoming. You see, as a church, we recently have been in this difficult stage of life. But Nick, so well stated last week as he was preaching on Revelation, that we're still here. Like, we are still here and we are still standing together. And it got me to thinking where we've been as a church. Like, partly the 10 years that I've been here, but even like the amount of years before I ever showed up. And last year, we opened up an FCC time capsule that was made back in 2000. And we went through and just kind of read some of the questions that people were able to answer. And one of the questions asked people what they thought the world would be like in 20 years. So they wrote these things in the year 2000. And some answers talked about how there would be robots everywhere. Or there would be flying cars. Or just talked about the amount of technology we would have. Some people said we would have computers that we carry with us. Okay, they got that right. Or this idea that we would be able to shop from home. Yep, got that one too. 20 years just thinking in the future. Other people, when it said, what do you think 20 years will be like? They're like, I'll be older. Yep, that's what's going to happen in 20 years. Or they said, "Eh, I'll probably be having a few more pounds or things like that. They said, I still think life is going to be busy. That's what 20 years will be like. Some people talked about how they thought there'd be a drop in morality. Or they thought there'd be a higher resistance to Christianity in our culture. And some of those answers, though, that people gave were focused on the church world, ri- world ri- worldwide. And they're just thinking about this idea of, man, can I imagine what revival will look like? Or this idea that God will still be with us, you know, unless we're with Him in heaven, and then He'll still be with us there. But that's what it's going to be like in 20 years with the church. Or some even talked specifically about what was then First Christian Church and now South Rock. And they said, I picture a lot of dancing and singing with joy to the Lord. Or I see a church that is going to continue to reach out to a world in need. Or someone even wrote, I picture a church of 1500 with a new building out on 87th Street. And again, not that far off. And as I read those answers, like I saw the faces of the people who I knew that had written them. And I also pictured those who I've only heard stories about. And I reflect on everything that has been done throughout all the years, with all the highs and with all the lows, but everything that has happened that have helped us to be where we are today. Our mission here at South Rock is to help people find and follow Jesus. And if I were to hand you a paper and say, what do you think things are going to be like 20 years from now? I wonder, what would you write on that paper? Like, would you talk about things like flying cars or that you'd be older? Would you write about what you think society will be like or if Jesus will even come back? What if I specifically said, hey, I want you to write in this one spot, what do you think SRCC will be like? What do you envision can happen if we continually follow after Jesus with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength? Maybe you picture buildings Like maybe you think of other facilities here or things that we've built or maybe bigger so that way we can have more people there. I don't know. Maybe that's part of what you would envision 20 years from now. Maybe you would think about programs. Man, I'd hope that we'd have something to be able to meet this need or I'd love for this program because it meant a lot to me. Even both of those, as I'm talking about buildings and programs, it's all still based around people. The reason for those things is because of people. And so maybe in 20 years you see faces that are smiling You see families who have been reconciled because of the power of God. You see people who have been hurting that have now been healed. You see the spiritually dead, they are now given life. Maybe you see joy or this true community. I can't stand up here and tell you specifically what's going to happen over the next 20 years. But I can tell you this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we faithfully follow after him, then he will do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. So let's follow him, church. Let's listen to his spirit as he guides us. Let's seek the will of the Father in everything. Let's allow Jesus to be the Lord and Savior because that's who he is. That's who he is. And the title of this series is called So It Begins, the start of something extraordinary. And that was chosen because of what I believe God will do in this next stage of our church's life. I expect it to be extraordinary, something that you can only look back and go, that was completely God. But more than that, we're looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how who he is and what he does is extraordinary. And so if you have your Bibles or devices, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And when we encounter Jesus in this moment, he's about a year into his ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that he's preaching at a church, but he's being used by God in the purposeful way that he was intended, his reason for coming to this earth. And so in the Gospels, we read about how Jesus has been baptized, and then he's gone off into the desert to be tempted. Afterwards, we see that disciples are starting to follow after him, and then he does his first miracle. We see that he has conversations with a man named Nicodemus and a woman at a well And all of this happens in places like Cana and Capernaum and Judea. But now what we're about to read today, now he is going back to Nazareth, his hometown, which is in the the area of Galilee. Now, Nazareth, that wasn't where he was born. If you remember, that was Bethlehem, but it was where he grew up because Mary and Joseph were from there. And so let's see what happens as he goes back to Nazareth. So in Luke chapter four, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. And this is what it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. We're going to stop. So that's where we're at, okay? Crowds are super excited about Jesus. They think, man, he is an incredible teacher. Some people had seen a miracle or two, or at least others have heard about it. And so this hometown boy who was making it big has now returned. And there's a lot of like Hallmark movie plot lines that kind of follow that that, uh, storyline. But here we go. We have Jesus coming back, and it's the Sabbath day, and he's going to the synagogue, as was his custom. And can you imagine some of the different teachers talking to each other about, man, what a fine student that Jesus had been in Sabbath school back when he was younger. And today he gets to be the guest preacher. And so the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, and Jesus turns to this specific section, and he reads these words, which are in verses 18 through 21. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and so then he rolled up the scroll he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your healing or in your hearing Jesus, he stood up to read, and then he sits down to teach. Now, that's not because he's tired. It's not, it's not because he thinks, well, maybe I'm done now. But he did those things in that order because that's the common practice there. In fact, each synagogue service consisted of the time of readings and prayers, and then it would be followed by the teaching. And when that spot was done as well, people were then allowed to ask questions. And that's exactly what we see play out in this entire passage. And it says that the people are amazed— at what he said. Now you need to know that's not exactly in a good way. Kind of like the NIV has chosen to translate that. More they're hearing what he said and they're talking about him. Like what? Did you hear what he said? How can he say those kind of things? And so then there's a question about well, aren't you, you know, Joseph's son? This this question about his family. And Jesus then tells them, "Because I grew up here, you will not accept this truth." And they become angry. So angry that then they try to kill him. If you drop down to verse 28 through 30, it says this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, first of all, I just wonder how in the world did that last part happen? Like, I have no idea, but it would be cool to find out someday. Would it be like, hey, was that a miracle that you did, Jesus? Like, did it just cause, like, everyone to freeze and you, like, walk through and they could see it? Did you disappear in front of everyone? Like, maybe it wasn't a miracle. Maybe even though they were angry because of Jesus's righteousness, like, they just couldn't kill him. Like, I don't know. Maybe Jesus was, like, the best ninja ever and we need to learn from him. Like, I have no idea how this happens, but I do know that it was not yet the time for Jesus to die. And you might kind of be wondering, like we've read all the words that Jesus said here, like why did the crowd get so furious with what we just read? Imagine this. Imagine Jesus, who you know, who has lived down the street from you, who you've seen go to school, who you've seen at soccer practice and maybe even coached him, like you've seen him grow up before your very eyes. And he comes to the synagogue and he states that he is the Messiah, that God has sent, that he is the son of God, that he is the promised savior that Israel has been waiting thousands of years for. And then he says, but you're not going to accept me. Like, in other words, picture Jesus picking up the microphone and he's like, is this thing on? I'm Jesus and I am the Messiah. And that's all he had to say and mic drop. Okay, that's an old one. Okay, I'm not breaking new stuff. That would be a terrible way to start. But like, I want you to see this, like this important message. That's what Jesus says. And people would have understood from Isaiah that this is the Messiah. But the people, by not reacting well, they proved Jesus' words to be true. That They couldn't accept the truth. The truth that Jesus is the Messiah. But what exactly was the Messiah supposed to do? Well, look at these words again quoted from Isaiah that Jesus said, that he read. First, it said, he will be led and he will be filled by the Holy Spirit. That is within that text that we read. And when you look at Jesus, he chooses not to do his work on his own, but he's going to follow the Father's leading in everything. Like you see that throughout his ministry, even up to the point of his death. It's not my will, but I'm going to allow you to lead me. And we see him constantly getting away to stay connected to the Father. Yeah, he fulfilled that aspect of the Messiah. It talked about how he will work miracles. That's what Isaiah said. It said, recovery of sight for the blind. Oh, and Jesus does that multiple times. But he does so much more. He heals people with leprosy. He heals the deaf and the lame the mute. He even raises the dead. Jesus is a miracle worker, just as what was foretold. We see that the Messiah, he will release the captives and the oppressed. And when you hear that word captives or prisoner, like Israel, they were hoping for this physical release from Rome. But Jesus freed the people from a much greater oppressor, from sin that so often entangles us. And even that word oppressed, it literally means broken in pieces. And over and over again, we see Jesus show grace to people right where they are. When they have hit rock bottom and they have no hope. That's what Jesus did. This text also tells us the Messiah, he will preach good news and he will proclaim the Lord's favor. When Jesus taught, he taught with authority. And he said, hey, let me show you the real way to connect up with God. Not all these extra laws that have been added in. Or he says, let me show you how close that God is to you right now. And he wants a relationship with you. Or even when it talked about the Lord's favor, he's making reference to this thing called the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament that was supposed to happen every 50 years. And when that year came, if you were an Israelite, any debt that you had was canceled you didn't owe that anymore. Or if you had possessions that you had to sell because it had been a tough time frame, you got those possessions back. Or even if you had to allow yourself to be in slavery, in this year of Jubilee, you were granted freedom again. And so Jesus comes and talks about this freedom on a bigger scale. But he didn't just preach it. Nope, he made it happen at Calvary. He gave freedom and good news to anyone who would receive it. That is extraordinary. And the response from Jesus' words like they had people, they were ready to stone him for committing blasphemy, this idea that he was putting himself on the same level as God. But the problem is that Jesus was telling the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one who saves. In fact, he is still the only one who saves. He is still the one that you need and still the one that I need. He is still the one that South Rock needs and the church worldwide needs. He is still the one that our nation needs and all the nations need. His spirit still works in us. And he still does miracles today. He continues to free those of us who, when we were captive to situations or addictions, he gave freedom. He picks up all the broken pieces of our lives and somehow puts them back together again. He still offers a freedom that we get to experience in this life and the life to come. You see, the the reason the church is here today is all because of Jesus. The reason the church has weathered the storms and has shined its light is all because of Jesus. And the reason the church will continue helping the hurting, equipping families, preaching good news, serving in love, is all because of Jesus. He is the Messiah that was sent by God to save us. And he proved it. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity these words. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. But you see, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And each of us still has the choice whether we're going to accept him or not. And there will be some who reject, like just as those in Nazareth did who heard him speak that day. But then there are others of us who at some point in our lives we've either looked or someday we will look and we'll say, man, I am a captive. We'll say, I am broken. I need healing. Maybe even I need a miracle. And I don't even know where to turn. But Jesus is standing right there. He's the Savior, not any one of us. And if you've never let him be that in your life, will you choose to do that today? We have people at the decision point to help you if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be baptized, or if you want to ask for prayer, for the hurt that can overwhelm, or even the broken pieces that maybe you've been trying to manage on your own. And if that's you, then during this song, make your way to one of those doors. But it's all about him, church. It's all it's ever been, and it's all it will ever be. And so let's sing that truth together, that Jesus, only Jesus. Will you guys stand as we sing?